0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Today we wrap up our series on penitence. We've explored different facets of this topic from repentance to forgiveness. Last week we looked at how after we receive forgiveness from God, what we give to others is grace. If we pause to examine ourselves, we'll find that we are quite bad at following God's law. Because we break God's law, it is right that we are punished. We don't deserve good things, but somehow despite this, we get them anyways. We don't deserve a second chance, but God gives us one anyhow. And because of God's grace given to us, Jesus calls us to give the same to each other. Now last week we skipped over something that is a natural part of the process of repentance. We know we have to repent and turn away from the wrong things we do. We know we need to forgive one another, even if it's hard to do. And most of us would pretty naturally agree that we should do good things to each other, even if people are bad to us. But we skipped a step. I've opted to put it last because I think out of everything, this one is the hardest to do. It's the hardest for us to even agree on. After we repent of the wrong we've done, after we learn to forgive one another, the next step is not to immediately do good things for others as God does good things to us. The next step is about mercy. We're going to hear from Carol. She's reading in place of Anon who's sick today, so prayers for him certainly. She's going to share the scripture for us today. It's taken from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is healing person after person. He's even calm the seas in the middle of the storm. Then we come to this story tucked in the gospel about the call of Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus goes on to explain about fasting and sowing and making wine, all analogies that speak to our topic today. Let's hear our scripture. It's from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord.
0: As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me and then he got up and followed him and as he sat at dinner in the house many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples when the pharisees saw this they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners but when he heard this he said those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, otherwise the skin will burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And from Isaiah chapter 55,
1: verse 7, Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them. God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts and lives as we consider what it looks like to truly be penitent. May the mercy you have for the world be the same kind of mercy we hold in our hearts. Do your will in our lives and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It seems everyone has that one strange person in their family, someone who just doesn't seem to fit in with everyone else. Uh, I see a few people turning and looking at each other. I think you might be saying the person sitting next to you is the strange one in your family. Uh, But sometimes the stranger is strange because they don't really seem to track with what's going on around them. Uh, Sometimes it's because they will say whatever wild thing pops into their head with no regard to how controversial it might be. Sometimes it's that they're the the black sheep in the family. They are the outcast because they just don't fit in the way others do. And I love that old joke, if you don't know who the black sheep in the family is, it's you. Uh, In my extended family, like any other, we have family members that struggle with fitting in, uh, whether it's drugs or divorce or other issues. Some are outsiders to my family. I actually felt this way growing up. My parents were very religious, and I decided to study and know the Bible as well as I could. I didn't grow up in the Methodist church, though, but learning and growing brought me into it. and Yet it's also something that makes me an outsider to my own family. Can you imagine that? I'm a pastor in a very religious family, but because it's a slightly different kind of Christianity, I'm the weird one in the family. And I know what you're thinking, Brian. It's not because you're a Methodist that you're the weird one, but that's another. Research shows uh, feeling like you don't fit in makes you anxious or depressed. It could even lead to eating disorders and makes you less likely to attend college. That's a pretty rough list of effects, isn't it? It has to make you wonder if it's ever appropriate to make people feel like outsiders. Jesus gives us a, a pretty compelling example in how he treated others As he crisscrossed the countryside, he would regularly stop at the synagogues, the local churches, and as a traveling preacher, he would be invited to speak. Often his message was received with glowing praise, but sometimes the religious folks didn't like him very much. They thought his popularity was a problem and that when he healed people, he was too loose with offering them forgiveness. They thought people had to follow the rules before they could be forgiven. Their sickness was considered a sign that they were wrong. But Jesus was different. Instead, he would go to dinner with the outsiders. In today's passage, we actually hear about one of these times. It involves Matthew, who the gospel is named for, as sitting at a tax booth. Jesus sees him, telling him to follow him, and he got up and followed Jesus. This is more extraordinary than we probably give it credit for. Jesus would be considered a a traveling rabbi or teacher, and to be the student or follower of a rabbi was a very serious matter. Usually a rabbi would pick the very best students in school, and everyone else would go into whatever the family business was. To be picked as a student of the rabbi was a huge honor that would happen very early in life. Leaving the stability of the family business... Later was unheard of, but with tax collectors, it was even more astounding. A tax collector back then was hired by a wealthy person who paid the the Roman Empire for the privilege of collecting taxes. These hired tax collectors were locals and would collect a, a poll tax and a land tax, but the kicker was the import and export tax. This is going by to Matthew was doing. He he would set up shop on a major road and stop anyone going by to inspect everything they had on them. If you thought taxes are bad these days, imagine it back then. If you were walking along the road, they would go through all of your stuff. Uh, If they found anything they thought came from a different country, they would make you pay the money for it. Now imagine that town isn't your destination. You keep traveling and then come across... Another tax collector who charges you again. Remember, there's, there's no receipts back then. Every time you see the tax collector, you have to pay more money or you will go to jail. It's criminal, isn't it? And the worst part is, whatever they say you owe, that's what you have to pay. It was well known that tax collectors would overcharge and pocket the money. It was an incredibly lucrative job. For Matthew to walk away from it, Is unheard of. Yet here we see a no-good, dirty, rotten tax collector leaving his job to follow the righteous teacher, Jesus. Matthew decides he's going to follow Jesus and invites him over to his home for a big dinner. Matthew invites his co-workers, the other tax collectors, and the quote-unquote sinners. They are the outsiders. And being called sinners means they they aren't the religious type. In fact, they very much don't care what the religious people think of them. I'm guessing you have a family member or two that fits that description. They just don't care what you think about them. Yet the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, are totally opposed to this meal with these outsiders, these estranged members of the community. When you eat a meal with someone, it signals you're close with them. So the religious people are thinking... Why would Jesus even associate with these people? But Jesus is thinking the complete opposite. Instead of why associate with them, he's thinking the people who need me the most are these people. He says healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he quotes the Old Testament, Hosea 6, where it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, that section of Hosea is all about Israel being impenitent. Israel is not guilty because individuals do bad things. They are guilty because they fail to work toward a society that is better for everyone. They let people commit awful crimes, and as long as it didn't affect them, they didn't care. People were stuck in crushing poverty, and God's people did nothing to help them. So when Jesus quotes Hosea, he isn't saying, don't sacrifice. He isn't saying, don't be religious in following God. He's saying, get your priorities straight. Showing mercy is right religion. I think of the epistle of James that says, this is true religion, to care for orphans and widows. Caring for the poor helping the oppressed, and loving the outsider is more important than ritual and religion. So when Jesus eats dinner with these sinners, he's showing the way. Don't reject these people that don't meet your standards. Love them. Help them. Show mercy. There's a a second part today's scripture about fasting. It's the same idea. Fasting is a religious act. It is often part of the process of penitence, repenting of our sin, and then not eating food to show how sorry a person is. Back then, they were required to fast at least once a year, but the devout would fast up to two times a week, and that's a good thing to do for sure because it can help you be in tune with God. But in no way is fasting more important than mercy. Showing mercy is always superior to our religious acts and sacrifices. As we've journeyed over the last few weeks looking at the process of penitence, from repenting to forgiving, and then showing mercy and offering grace, right here, I think, is the most important step. Show mercy. All kinds of people deserve to suffer, deserve the bad things that come their way, because we are sinners. We are never as religiously good as we think we are. And yet Jesus still offers every single one of us mercy. We don't get what we deserve. We don't get the bad things we rightfully should. Instead, we get good things from the Lord. It's literally the opposite of what we should get. And for us to turn and do the same for others can be so hard to do. We can get stuck on the need for others to think like we do or to act like we do or, or even for people to repent first before we take a single step toward a better relationship with them. That is not the example we have from Jesus. Jesus says mercy is the most important thing. Let me offer a thought of what this looks like. My wife, Emily, shared this story with some of the women that went on the women's retreat a few weeks ago. She had a good friend of hers, and the relationship was becoming more and more problematic. This friend was doing things that were really hurtful to Emily. Now, you need to know this. Emily is one of the most committed friends you'll ever have. She is never willing to let go of a friendship, so she was struggling with what to do. Eventually, things became so time-consuming and toxic. She said to her friend, if we are going to continue this friendship, there has to be two basic things in place. I need you to trust that I have good intentions, and I need you to treat me with respect. That's it. Those were the only requirements that she had. She said, when she can do that, they'll move forward with the friendship. And initially, this friend said, no, she wasn't going to do it. She couldn't do it. So Emily backed off. She wasn't unfriendly, but she was, wasn't deeply engaged in the relationship either. She wasn't spending extra time and energy on this friendship. Over time, things changed, though. Emily sensed that this friend was indeed trusting her more, not assuming the worst of her intentions and treating her with respect, so they became close friends again. It's been a couple of years now and after all that time this friend came back to Emily and said thank you for setting that boundary. By requiring those couple of things it helped reset and save the relationship and made both of them better people and they were both richer for it. What Emily did showed mercy. Now you might be wondering how is that mercy she just set a boundary but What she didn't do is give her friend what she deserved. She deserved to be treated the same as she gave. She deserved to have that friendship end. But what she got was reset boundaries and a healthy relationship. It wasn't, you hurt me, so I'll hurt you back, or you loved me, so I'll love you back. It was mercy for the sake of others. That's what Jesus intends, and I know this because that word Jesus uses for mercy is a a very specific one. It is chesed. It can mean anything from faithful to kind to merciful to loyal. It is steadfast love, more than just tit for tat. It's a a devotion that goes beyond what is normally required of us. I know a lot of people here feel a duty to be religious— You are honor-bound to do the right thing. I know because I'm like that too. But Jesus says this life is about more than honor. Mercy goes beyond what is right to do an immeasurable good, to do something for others just because. There is no motivation other than loving like Jesus loves. That's mercy born out of a penitent heart. Let's close with a, a story. When Michelle moved in with her boyfriend, Jay, for a life of drugs and partying, she assumed Jay's parents would turn their back on them. So it was shocking when Jay and Michelle were instead invited over for dinner. She says she was incredulous because Jay's parents were normal. Her boyfriend also said they were very religious. Why would they invite us over to dinner, she wondered. The day of the meal, they were welcomed into the home. As they sat to eat, Michelle became aware of her surroundings. Her clothes, tattoos, and piercings clashed with the well-decorated table. Yet here they were, treating them with respect, being kind, and even asking if they wanted to play Scrabble after dinner. Over the coming months, Jay's mom stayed in touch. She would bring groceries, wrote notes saying she was praying for them. Uh, Jay and Michelle would read the letters out loud to their friends for a good laugh. Yet there they were, empty on the inside, partying hard with their lives getting worse. Once after a full week of drugs and partying, the couple got freaked out by an event, Scared, they called Jay's parents, who immediately came over with their pastor and some friends. Though they expected to receive criticism and disapproval, these church people just stepped over the trash, shoved aside the drug paraphernalia, to talk and to pray with them. Michelle was deeply touched by their love and acceptance. Stuck in depression, she turned her life over to Jesus. She prayed for the mercy of God. She saw it work in these people, and from then on, her life was changed. They quickly got married and started attending church. They saw the difference between their untrustworthy friends and these reliable, loving church members. They went to weekly Bible studies and fun gatherings with the church. Just about every day, they experienced more love and acceptance from the church. One day it was an anonymous check in the mail or food on the doorstep. Another time, it was a new set of flannel sheets on the front porch. As Michelle's relationship with God deepened, she volunteered with the youth group to share God's love with kids who were as troubled as she once was. They helped teens living on the street and were determined to show the same mercy to others as what had been shown to them. Do you hear God at work through a church that prioritizes mercy? Did you hear how a meal can transform how people see you? Getting close with someone is not an opportunity to tell people how wrong they are. It's not the chance to be religious, whatever that means. It's a time for mercy, not sacrifice. It's a time to love not hold a grudge. True penitence comes when we repent, when we forgive, and instead of giving others what they deserve, we show mercy and bless them with the grace God has shown to us. May you show this mercy to others, not that people can do whatever they want, walking all over you, but that the life and death of Jesus might have its fullest impact through you so they can know God's mercy. Amen? Amen.
0: For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.